Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labruzzi. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And this week, we were originally going to talk about the fifth story episode and the fifth side story episode, but I think everybody on this podcast is so incensed, <laughs> enraged, infuriated about the mana value change. That's all we're going to talk about for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, but and also shuffle <laughs> shuffle do not forget about shuffle i will cry over shuffle okay but my my bit that i wasn't going to tell anyone about was we were going to talk about the last call time stories but we're over call time so let's talk about strixhaven so i'm going to go on the same wavelength here i was going to start talking about the bands what do y'all think about uro just being gone out of magic huh rip he's he's escaped from the necessity of uh constructed play so, uh good for him uh he's he's the true winner here no uh so we've got uh two two announcements uh the first i guess we'll get the very small announcement um uh out of the way first is that uh when you're listening to this episode that monday that's gonna start uh time spot or remastered previews um or did they start in 2006 can't tell these days you know what with chronology being so wonky that's a that's a time, time <laughs> spiral joke for y'all out there yep 2006 is when time spiral came out so god it's, it's, it's a this, this is a reference reference humor no uh so uh i'm interested in seeing what that is like it's a uh a paper only draft style set with cards from time spiral planner chaos and future Sight. Uh, remastered into its own limited format. Uh, and they're also reprinting uh, old bordered cards. Uh, these are cards that were not in the old border. They don't have to be from Time Spiral Block. We've Like we've seen Path to Exile and Cranial Plating already. Um, but Chalice of the Void and uh, Lotus Bloom and something else that I don't remember. But um, yeah, they are in Magic's original frames. So uh, they that's uh, that's a neat thing. And our second announcement is that we got a sneak peek at Strixhaven. I don't know why, but we did. <laughs> I'm very excited. Disclosure, uh, I wrote creative text for Strixhaven. It's uh, one of the sets uh, that I worked on that's coming out this year. It is my favorite set that I have ever worked on. I am beyond excited. So we got uh, a short article titled The First Lesson Introduction to Strixhaven, uh, where we get a little bit of the lore background uh, for the set and some, you know, more more set related information. So, uh, Strixhaven is a premier university uh, for for mages in in the multiverse. Uh, it is uh, on the plane of Arcavios, which is brand new to magic, never before seen. The university is home to five different colleges, each founded by an elder dragon who uh, the college is named after. We This is a enemy color set, so uh, we have uh, White Black, which is Silver Quill College. These are the writers and the artists, um, uh, not like, like poet artists. Um, these are the wordsmiths, uh, the people who can use prose and poetry to either inspire their allies or ruthlessly tear down their enemies. Uh, sharp style, sharper wit is their motto. 
in uh, blue-red, we have Prismari College. These are the theater students, the art students. They are all about self-expression, whether it is from the technical precision of the mind or the fervent passion of the heart. Their motto is express yourself with the elements. Uh, then there is Witherbloom College. These are the goth bio-majors. They their their magic is all about manipulating life essence uh you know green can manipulate it to grow voraciously and verdantly black can take it away parasitically to literally draw the life out of things and use it to power spells uh their motto is get your hands dirty i have to interrupt you just to say uh bio goth bear wizard uh that's it (laughs) Yeah, there there's a bear on one of the booster pack images. We'll we'll get to packaging in a in a little bit. Then there's Lorehold College. These are the historians and the archaeologists, whether they are in uh, you know, scouring the library for information on an ancient battle or uh out in the field digging up relics from that battle itself. Their motto is leave no stone unturned. They are the red white college. And then finally, we have Quandrix, the green-blue college. These are the mathematicians, uh, the mathemagicians, uh, as, as they said. They they <sighs> are all about the way numbers underlie reality uh, from, from the very grounded uh, patterns that you see in nature to theoretical fractals and symmetries between the two. They are the people that are, uh, you know, metaphysics and whatever uh, the opposite of metaphysics is and uh they their uh their motto is math is magic i'm so excited for this set personally uh silver quill forever but prismari is also okay uh, i am not terribly loyal to either college but um it's just this is a world filled with nerds and excitement and learning and absolutely stunning colorful visuals uh we got a cycle of commands previewed for each college i love the set so much another cool thing that they're doing is uh it's not like it's similar to masterpieces we have um mystical archive uh these are uh spells from magic's past that are not going into standard but are going to be in booster packs there's one in a pack uh, they feature a special frame treatment and uh, special art treatment, and these are the kinds of things you would find in a library at uh, Strixhaven University. And so we they got previewed uh, Opt, Swords to Plowshares, and Demonic Tutor. There is really good spells in, in this collection. I'm very excited about these. So uh, if you want outstanding art and flavor text that really draws you into a spell and a world, um, Mystical Archive is going to do that. Uh, so Vorthos is in particular, like, this is a special showcase thing that uh, is really gonna, I think, get our community excited. And finally, I guess, uh, a note on packaging, because uh, we have uh, on the uh, booster box and the bundle... I don't I don't know who these people are but uh there are uh there's a uh, a woman in red with armor and a man in uh blue with armor. Uh it looks like uh one has electricity and the other has ice. Uh they're both blondes. I don't know who these people are, but uh they seem kind of neat. 
This is actually a deep dig for older flavor fans. These are um, Baltrys and Jace Balaron <laughs> from Agents of Artifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Ronan well, so there you go. All I know is that they've uh, they've been lifting. They've got some some arm muscles that have been uh, developing. Uh, thank you, Magali, for for this wonderful art that I am going to cherish. I don't know. I mean, we don't know the chronology of their appearances outside of Eldraine before Valor's Reach, but we also don't know if this is before or after Valor's Reach, or if Garuk is playing paying for their dorm, or what the <laughs> deal is, so... Uh yeah, I guess I guess one thing that was announced on the weekly MTG stream that we can say is that there will be web fiction for Strixhaven, so stay tuned for that and our episodes about that sometime in the future. Seriously though, if we don't talk about call time, I will literally just talk about Strixhaven. Like we have very <laughs> limited information. I will just talk about it the entire time. I love this. Time for so call much. time then. <laughs> yeah, we're like ten minutes into this episode and we haven't even talked about the call time stories, which we're uh, no, it's great we're focusing on today. Um, including uh, episode five of the main story, the battle for call time. Yeah, so this is our big finale for for this set. Again, uh, the main story is written by Roy Graham with contributions from Jenna Helland. I had a, I had a tough time thinking about how to summarize the story. So much happens, um, and I, I really think uh, I've I've got a handle on a good, concise way to explain uh, most of this story, in that it's a. Uh, our heroes arrive on Bredegard, and some monsters appear from another realm, and they're fighting them, and then they have trouble, and then somebody new appears as an ally and helps them. And this process happens a couple times until they win. <laughs> and uh, that's that's about it. Uh, so uh, we, we open on uh, the big longhouse on uh, Bredegard and the leaders of the five Viking clans. Uh, so we have uh, Arnie, uh, Finn, Inga, and uh, Sigrid. I'm sorry, only four clans because the Skell are not here, but they're not at the Longhouse. They are in the vicinity for a reason I'll get to in a second. And so uh, Kai <laughs> and Tyvar show up with the Vikings and um, are all like, hey, look, we have this sword that's supposed to be Halvar's. And... Uh, Literal multiple doom scars are happening. This is very bad. And so they're like, look, the only way we can close these rifts is with this sword, and we need to get it to Halvar. So uh, our heroes hop on a bunch of gigantic ravens, because Alrund shows up. Uh, like I said, this is allies from previous stories showing up here or there throughout the story. And, and so they're flying, and it's like, great. Except all these demons start arriving, including Varagoth, uh, who we met uh, right at the end of last week's story. Uh, he, he is the demon lord who um, created a cult-like following among the Skell. And so they are, they are uh, the prophesied return of the demonic overlord uh, is happening and they are leading a giant raid. Uh, there's also, uh, uh, what's the card? Rise of the Dreadmarn? March of the Dreadmarn? Whatever the card is, it's one of the story <laughs> spotlights. Uh, the the Narvi's army of Draugr march into Bredegard. Like half of the story spotlights happen in this one little moment of the. Story. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like all of them at once. There are trolls. There are giants. It is a you know, if I could summarize it even further to just one word, it's Ragnarok. Right. This is this is the all out fight 
between a bunch of realms. Uh, and so they, uh, Kaya spots Halvor on this bridge. Uh, he is protecting the village. Um, he is the, the last person and he is, uh, the god of war, of battle, and he is slaughtering people left and right, uh, guarding this bridge. So, uh, they crash down into the water and then, um, you know, Cosima shows up and helps fight, uh, against the demons. Uh, and, uh, and then Harold shows up with the elves and Tyvar is like, oh no, he's here to kill, like, our friends. Peace out, Kaya. I'm going to go talk to my bro and try and smooth things over. So uh, Kaya has to uh, get very tired because this is like an endless boss rush gauntlet. <laughs> she does end up making it to um, to Halvar. And uh, Har- Harold appears and is like, yo, my bro told me what's up and we cool now. So, uh, hooray, the elves are not going to go to war with uh, <laughs> and the Scotty. And uh, so uh, the whole ragtag team gets to the bridge and uh, delivers the sword just as uh, to pick back up with the Nico stories left off, right? So uh, Nico and the Valkyries were trying to manage Coma, who appeared in Starnheim, and, and they kind of had uh, created this hole in the lake. And, and guided Koma through it, and then Nico fell through, but then the Valkyries pursued uh, Koma, and so that happens as this final battle is happening. And uh, Koma comes streaming out of the skies of Bredegard, and everyone was like, holy crap, and all the elves are like, hey, Koma, we love you. Uh, and uh, Koma raises the battlefield and just passes through another opening and uh, continues on its merry way through uh, the realms and the cosmos. Uh, but the good <laughs> news is Nico and the Valkyries are here because more allies join the fight. And now that Halvar has the Sword of the Realms back, he can start really beating the snot out of people and starting to close all these omen paths that have opened up and uh, heal these doom scars. The heroes win, and it's great. Sadly, Halvar has to to give up his spark to seal the rifts, but um, it's doesn't okay. have a spark. <laughs> Stop telling lies. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, Nico uh meets up with Kaya and Tyvar, and uh, Kaya gets to have another. Hey, kid, you're a planeswalker, and have another. Uh, young athletic kid be like, hey, thanks, lady. What's a planeswalker? <laughs> but, like, where, whereas Tyver was, like, really opposed to um, the idea of being a planeswalker and what that means, uh, Nico seems kind of intrigued. Uh, Nico is a very curious person. Um, I'm sure they will have lots of adventures in the future, whether we actually learn about them or not. So... All, all of our heroes uh, outside of the Planeswalkers are like, hey, yeah, this is a big old mess. And clearly, things have been uh, pretty rocky on this world of Kaldheim. So we should do a lot of work to try and make sure that things are less chaotic in the future. And uh, everyone's pretty buddy-buddy. Uh, and then Kaya is reminded by Inga, uh, hey, you have a monster to hunt. And Kaya's like, oh, snap. Uh, that's right, I do. And, uh, you know, uh, Tyvar also has his uh, character turn where he's like, you know what? This, here today stopping this, this is such a tremendous heroic victory. 
Kaya, people are going to be telling your stories for all time. You are one of the greatest heroes Kaldheim has ever seen. And you're not even from here. And he has this realization like, hey, if I'm a planeswalker, that means I could be famous on more than Kaldheim. I could be famous on other worlds too. I can be hero elsewhere. And he kind of uh, changes his mentality and is like, yeah, you know what? I will do this planeswalker thing. Yeah, let's let's go. Let's let's be let's be heroes of of the multiverse. And uh, that's good for him. I would really like to see him in future sense. Because <laughs> I love Tyver. And yeah, so Kaya's like, yeah, I wonder whatever did happen with that monster anyway. And then we get to an epilogue. In the Tyrite Sanctum, at the heart of the world tree, the goddess Essica, goddess of the tree, who crafts the uh, cosmos elixir that gave the Scoti their power and extends their light. The only being who knows how to create it and who can create uh, Tyrite the magical material that the god's weapons are made out of. She lies dying, assaulted by a screeching, metallic foe. And Vorinclex has what he's come for. Doesn't need Essica. So he takes out a flask, fills it with the sap of the world tree, and says he is ready. Sample acquired, it said, in that stitched-together voice. I am ready to return. And then a red portal opens up, and a voice says, Welcome back, Vorinclex. We step ever closer to perfection. Dun-dun-dun! Cliffhanger! And that voice? Urza Planeswalker. What?! <laughs> it's not Urza. <laughs> It's not Urza. Urza's dead. It could be. Uh, I mean. No, it's Kazmina. <laughs> it's not. Oh my god, Chris. <laughs> ah. It is a mysterious voice, and we don't know who it belongs to. But yeah, so uh, we saved Kaldheim, but Borenklex's plan goes exactly as he drew it up. The chaos Tybalt created was such a large diversion that nobody noticed. His little excursion to the world tree and his escape from this world. Kaya, Kaya's left with this open-ended job. I don't know what that future is going to be. Will she get him? Will she give up? Who knows? It's mysterious future. Uh, but yeah, Frexia gets a little victory. Tybalt was actually useful. Uh, Nico just gets to be excited about things. Tyvar has a little bit of character growth in these few stories we've seen him. And uh, that's that's Kaldheim's uh, main story. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can talk more about it at the end, but we also need to cover the saga of Lathril, which was the final side story. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think we can, we can keep the feedback for this story at uh, the end of this episode when we cover kind of the whole set. So yeah, Chris, take us off with the saga of Lathril. So the Saga of Lathril is really cool for a couple of reasons. One reason is it was one of the commander deck legendary creatures, which is really cool that we get to see that again. Um, I think it's really neat that they're making these sort of supplementary products and giving them a full sort of backstory. Uh, the other really cool thing about the Saga of Lathril is that it is the story of a blind character, which is not a thing we get very often in fantasy or in magic, uh, but we should get more of. And 
it's a story of a blind character written by a deaf-blind author. So the author for the Saga of Lathril is Elsa. Her last name is Swedish, and I'm going to pronounce it the best I can and say um, Huneson, which is the way that she has it sort of phonetically spelled out on her website. And uh, she is a multi-award-winning author, and it is a very cool story uh, about disability written by a disability, uh, a disabled writer. Um, part of the thing in the disability community that you hear a lot if you are part of that, which I uh, work in, is nothing about us without us. And I think it's really cool that this is a story about people with disability from a disabled writer. Um, so going into the story, uh, this is the story of Lathril. And uh, Lathril has become a god. <coughs> <laughs> so we kind of get... The start of the story, Lathril is emerging from this cave where she has been bestowed upon her the power of a god. I don't know what that is like for the elves and for the Einar, uh, which were the, the old gods before the, the Skodi, um, but she has become more than a mere mortal. She has become a god, and she knows going into it that becoming a god means that something will be taken from her. She will... something. She will be giving up something in exchange, but she didn't know what it was going to be. And then she finds out it is her sight. So she becomes, for all intents and purposes, blind. Um, as it is often uh, among people who are blind, she has some vision. She can see uh, colors. She can see some shape. She can see uh, light and dark and shadow and all of that. But she doesn't have uh, the same vision that she had before. And so she sort of spends time adjusting to that and one of the first things that happens is um she wakes up in the middle of the night one day and there's suddenly a wolf laying Whoa, next to her. hold on yeah she woke up in the middle of the night one day that's impressive okay i um i'm going to fight you <laughs> this is this is the same world that insists on saying that the sun rises in the east and i'm like okay Whatever. Like, there were so many sun references throughout the main story. I don't care. The The light of Starnheim is referred to as the sun, and the realms do orbit around it, which gives it movement. It is uh, not <laughs> like a solar system kind of sun, but yeah. anyway, continue. Anyways, she awakes in the middle of the night uh, to a nose in her face. Um, and she feels that there's fur in her way because she was like going to reach for her sword, which is the thing that you would reasonably do if you wake up and there's a nose in your face. Um, but there's fur in the way and she's like, oh, no, what's happening? And then she can see that it's this beautiful copper wolf and it's got this like tricolor fur and she's like, OK, you know what? Uh, this is fine. Um, she just kind of goes back to sleep and she's like, after all, the wolf wasn't doing anything to her. Uh, so she was kind of unafraid of it. It's just a, it's just a doggo putting their nose in your open mouth while you sleep. That's just what dogs do. Yeah. So there, apparently there's this thing with the elves whenever they became gods, uh, they asked in supplication that they are accepted into their godhood, which I means by, I'm assuming some sort of cosmos monster, uh, and so discovering this wolf kind of proves to her that the cosmos monster that accepted her, that brought her in to her godhood, was Serulf, the, the realm eater. Um, so she knows, like, hey, this wolf was sent by Serulf, which is really cool. 
And so she wakes up in the morning and she gets out of bed and the wolf is there and the wolf is just being a good old dog. And she uh, she navigates around her home, which I think this is really cool, uh, using some tactile signs on the wall and using some footpaths that have been laid out in her home. So she knows where she's like walking, where, you know, she's not going to like run into something. She doesn't have any peripheral vision. She doesn't have a lot of her distance vision. So she's sort of a like a growing accustomed to this new life as a blind person or I guess blind elf um, elf are elves are people too elves are elves are people yes correct we're you're lucky Brian is not here to to get angry yet. yeah Brian's gonna have a lot of thoughts about elves I'm sure next week but anyways uh she navigates around and the wolf is like starts pulling on her sleeve and she's like stop it um but she realizes like oh she should follow the wolf's direction and uh it takes her to her door where there's like suddenly a wolf harness there. And it's like, well, that's convenient. Um, she also says that the wolf is a she, which is just, I mean, all right. And so uh, the wolf is like, come on, let's go. And takes Lathril out and Lathril's like walking outside. And she's like, wow, it's super bright. And so she closes her eyes because she's like, well, this is just hurting my eyes. I don't need to look. I can have this wolf. And the wolf is a, uh, is a little guide wolf. Uh, and carries her on her way and then she finds out she thought they were like gonna go into town but instead they're walking into the woods she finally opens her eyes and is like oh wow uh we are in the middle of the forest and she runs into the like leader of her elvish clan um and yadira who is a leader of elvish clan is like hey you've been summoned to deal with a problem i don't know what it is but there's a door that your wolf can find and uh you're gonna walk between some worlds and it sounds like I'm making up this dialogue, but it really is like Yadira's <laughs> like something about walking between worlds. She'll know where to take you. <laughs> um, that's quote for quote from the story. I, I love Yadira. It's just like, I don't know what's happening, but you got to do a thing. So her wolf carries her into the woods and they walk through an omen path and they end up uh, in this unfamiliar place. And she hears a scream. And so Lathril pulls out her sword and the wolf kind of like, turns into like battle mode and they go taking off and they find like a, a child who's like trying to fend off some attackers and the wolf runs forward and like protects the child while Lathril like just dispatches with these attackers. There ends up being two of them. She knocks them out. She stabs one of them uh, and she helps the child and the child's like, Hey, I was out here with my wolf and they took my wolf and Lathril's like, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that the wolf would take me to someone else who has a wolf because uh, Sarulf apparently will send uh, his children out to protect young mages uh, before they come into their power as a way to, like, keep them safe. And so Lathril's like, all right, so this is one of uh, Sarulf's favored children, so I'm going to go find this wolf. Lathril and her wolf who doesn't have a name, by the way, which is like an important plot point that I left out earlier, is that Lathril was like, I don't know this wolf's name. Uh, they just ended up in my bed, which like, let's be honest, who hasn't woken up with a wolf in their bed and they just can't remember their name. But this wolf doesn't have a name yet. And so Lathril's like, I'm going to have to figure out this wolf's name. And so she's like, all right, well, what's your wolf's name, uh, little girl? And the little girl says her wolf is named Kit, uh, named after a kitten, which is really cute. <laughs> So Lathril escorts this little girl back into town and the little girl is like, 
they took my wolf. And the town elder is like, oh, yeah, uh, could you go do something about that, Lathril? You seem like the kind of person who would know how to deal with some droggers. Uh, by the way, these are all droggers, but, like, I don't really know how important that is to the plot of the story that they are droggers, but they are. Um, so Lathril's like, okay, and she goes and she runs out into the woods with her wolf and they find a clearing and she waits until nighttime and like the people who took the wolf are there and she can see the wolf is like chained up in the center of this little encampment and they wait and then it gets really dark and then Lathril like sneaks forward and goes to release the wolf but one of the people wakes up and so there's like another really cool fight scene but Lathril like fights really quietly because she's like you know an elf and she can do that um and she takes the guy down without waking anyone else up and then her and this young wolf run away with her big wolf and they're running through the woods and they end up running right into uh Serwolf, the realm eater which is just like i'm sure the most terrifying thing in the entire uh world tree to just run into this giant wolf who apparently eats realms Nah, it's fine. You just scritch behind his ears. He's nice. Yeah, he was super nice. He was like, hey, thank you for uh, saving uh, one of my kids. Uh, also, your wolf, uh, it has a name. It's uh, Lukia. And Lathril's like, cool, thanks. Um, Lathril also pointedly does not make eye contact with the wolf, uh, Serolf. Um, She doesn't like, she bows and makes sure that she doesn't like, you know, look threatening because it's a giant realm eating wolf. Uh, which is very smart. Lathril is a is a bright one. Um, so then Lathril gets a name for her wolf, and then she she carries on Cyril's blessing, and she returns Kit to her human. And uh, then once they are done, and like the little girl and the little wolf are like acting like playful little friends again, Lathril uh, steps through an omen path back to Skimfar. I'm assuming, and that's the end of the saga of Lathril. <laughs> that's that's all i gotta say about it that's the end of the story it just kind of ends with her walking through an omen path i uh, saw so i have an important confession for this episode uh i did not actually get around to reading the lateral story before we recorded uh it, it was the the last thing on my list and it just didn't happen because i was too busy being a homosexual uh no i i've been very busy recently i've had a lot of time to read this story and just haven't but um I, I intend to at some point because it sounds very nice and it has doggos. It read a lot to me like a fairy tale, but not like a, I don't know if fairy tale is the right way of saying it. It read to me like a really nice bedtime story, you know, yeah. where it's like the story of Lathril and it was like very simple plot point to plot point to plot point, And it ends with sort of like a, and then everyone lived happily ever after. And I was like, that was nice. It read like a saga to me. Literally called the saga of Lathril. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, like, like the kind of story that would be passed down orally from generation to generation. I'm also glad that they like took that kind of approach specifically to the commander, commander legends, legendary creatures from the commanders that's associated with Kaldheim kind of wordy to put it that way but that they had that kind of exploratory space and i think they did the same thing with a boon to a lesser extent just kind of get to explore more disconnected in world history than you would get in your average set story i was particularly happy and i know i ranted about it a little bit at the beginning i was just very happy that this was a a story about a a character who has a disability 
and it was written by a person who has that disability and it felt very real and it felt very nice to be like hey here's some some real representation of disability in gaming yeah i yeah that's that's a big thing with representation it's like yeah representation matters but if the people you're trying to represent are not involved with your process it's hollow it's a hollow gesture um you know it was uh i i like i'm i'm really glad when uh Tybar and Nico were revealed that they uh each got a little design article about building those characters uh i i was really glad to see that a lot of the names and people behind Nico's development got out there because you is really important that there are multiple non-binary people that helped create that character and did a lot of work and and input and and design stuff uh to to make sure that Nico was meeting goals and uh and and meeting those goals effectively and and doing the right things they wanted that character to do as uh as a non-binary human planeswalker for for the for the uh the the story and and the world. Yeah, it it's literally the same thing here. You have a story about a thing, you know, I don't necessarily want to talk about it, but it's contrast very differently than with uh the movie Sia has <laughs> made about autism. <sighs> holy yeah. holy shit. <laughs> if you want to know what happens when you're being a good ally, uh, you end up making a movie filled with stereotypes uh, where you, uh, you know, you didn't want to cast someone with autism because they would be hard to work with. And then you cast a, a neurotypical person who then does a bunch of very yikes stereotypes. And anyway, holy shit, the Sia thing is. It's also like a matter of unreal bad magic magic has taken this approach before like specifically with um narset kind of um more explicitly confirming and then with mm-hmm. kaya as well having uh monique as the consultant but it's very 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 critically important for magic to do it right now because nobody has the confidence in magic's story that was tacitly built up over many many years and that's like not to kind of dive into the meta discussion too much but it's like there needs to be very very conscious and public efforts when your company is like known for not handling things Mm -hmm. exquisitely like you just need to you need to be putting in the work to show that you are doing it. And that doesn't mean attaching people's names to something when they don't want their names attached to that thing, even if they were important in consulting work on it. But you have to, like, there has to be an acknowledgement that, like, Wizards has fucked up a lot of representation and a lot of diversity, both sexual and race-wise, in the story up to this point, and have not as properly acknowledged it, and as well with disability, but just make it crystal clear to your audience that you're putting an abundance of thought and, like, as much as I appreciate Lorelai um, kind of compounding on that with personal stories, it's like, this needs to be stories on the mothership about Nico. Exact same thing, where it's like the story article detailing the process of creating the character. 
have enough people in there to where some percentage of them feel comfortable um, being included and like giving their opinions on the creation process. It's just like there needs to be a rebuild of faith in the story and that the stories they are telling are quality stories because coming out with Forsaken and then a year and a half later coming out with an article being like, we're going to region lock stories. Those two items do not carry all the weight of undoing each other. It is like there just needs to be a more conscious effort on every single front. And so I appreciate these kinds of um, little insights we get. Uh, yeah, we talked a couple weeks ago about um, Mendrick's new uh, director of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, Chantel Leighton Smith or Leighton Smith. Sorry. And uh, I, don't, I don't know when uh, she was hired. Uh, so I don't know when we are going to start to see a lot of um, the potential impacts of her work. Um, but uh, I, I hope that is that is a, uh, a thing that will be uh, clear moving forward, um, which is. I think about all I'm really going to say about that meta discussion broadly um, because of my position as a Watsi contractor. If the people on the story team really want my opinion, I can just tell them uh, <laughs> that is um, not really uh, my place to say things on the podcast. But uh, I, I guess uh, do if either of you have anything else to say on, on this, then we can stay on this. Otherwise, uh, we can move to uh, a different one of our uh, final review topics that we have here. I guess just to, to wrap up my thoughts on the saga of Lathril, I think it is incredible, uh, incredibly important that they took a character who did not have to be blind. Um, nothing that we knew about Lathril up until this point said that Lathril was blind. Um, and they said, hey, uh, this character is blind. And we're going to write a story about this character, and it's going to be about this character and also about their blindness. And we're going to hire a writer to write the story who is blind. And the character thereby did not end up with, like, superhuman ability to, like, daredevil see based off sound <laughs> or something. Yes. It was just like, she's just blind. And she's just very much like, she's not, like, navigating with the whispers of the nature around her. She's just, like, she feels signs on her walls of her house to know, like where she is and things i'm like that is a blind person and i was like thank you this is good i just appreciated that they they did that and i appreciate that the story felt very much uh like a real story about a really cool badass blind character so yeah that's my final thoughts on that story but we should talk about uh more stuff about the call time story oh this was my main starting point for the review was like I called it the meat of the story itself, like what yeah. happened in the main call time story and for Chris and I to speculate what what could it be leading to in the future. Um, but also... No, I was just saying, yeah, I absolutely cannot speculate. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it was a good story. Um, I think there's still obviously issues to work out with this system, but it's not necessarily content-wise. It is more structural issues with how the story is presented that we'll get into a little bit but yeah i mean call time was a perfectly good story it was a very it was a very unique expression of a magic plane or magic mm -hmm. planes it however you want to define call time in itself um having us having a world that has multiple worlds within it um is something magic hasn't necessarily taken on um, prior At to least this. Not in a or, while. 
yeah, exactly. Not as very, very, very explicitly as this. I think it was executed very well. I think the story was able to pull together all the good world building bits that we wanted to see. It was a healthy mix of legendary creatures and planeswalker exposition and getting all the story beats in there. Um, obviously, we'll talk about pacing and um, kind of the overstructuring. But I don't think any story stood out to me as like overwhelmingly rushed. Like obviously, the finale story is going to have a lot of action packed into it, and that's especially true when there's only five stories to work with in the main storyline. But it was not more than I could bear for a story, especially when we know the kind of <laughs> the kind of extremes that can happen with necessarily like a comparable story like War of the Spark, where it's like such a big culmination and everything's happening so very, very quickly and it's like not necessarily or I guess for also comparison, like the Dominaria story um finale where it was like kind of cameos of characters coming in and like every single name drop you could imagine and they're all joining in on this big battle and it's like it wasn't that kind of overwhelming it was more of like we're actually seeing all the threats come together at once and we know about these characters from different story sources and it it feels naturally woven together rather than name dropping (laughs) yeah i i think in the finale the only characters that had not appeared in a story before were havar and sigrid I think that's right. I I guess Harold, but yeah, technically. He's on a billion cards, so <laughs> <laughs> and we knew that he was going to be involved in one of yeah. the story spotlights, yeah. so it was like going to happen right. eventually. I think what I want to say about this is that uh I think the number one Vorthos comment I have seen about Kaldheim is golly gee, I wish we were on this world for one more set at least Mm -hmm. because there was so much stuff and I want to have the opportunity to explore everything in as much detail as I want. And I think that's a really good reaction that is parallel to my feelings about Kaldheim is this the world building on Kaldheim is wonderful. It is. There's so much work done on this one plane, you know, very specifically congrats to everyone uh, on on the creative team on on this one. This was a hell of a project, and y'all crushed it. I think as far as story execution goes, this story... See, that this might, like, go into pacing a little bit, but it feels like this story might have been a little bit bigger than five episodes. Um, Yes. Maybe maybe six or seven (laughs) episodes. It kind of was seven episodes, because the Nico story directly interfaced with it. Which I think was interesting. Actually, that's true because in the in when when we say characters in this family had all appeared before, uh, Nico, Arnie, the Valkyries, and Finn were all from those side stories. Uh, they weren't in the main stories before this. Yeah, so I guess this was like kind of eight stories, but but not necessarily in the sense that we're kind of getting at as far as like the main. Yeah, I guess the main story following Kaya could have used a little more space to breathe. There, there wasn't a story that about the the clans of Bredegard coming together. Like that was that was one of the things that I felt like we knew all those characters because we'd read the side stories, but we don't know how Arnie and Finn and like uh, Inga ended up together. We kind of were just dropped there, and so I'm like, if we had had that story, I think it would have brought all of it together. Like, what did it? What did the invasion, the Doom Scar, start with, and how did they all end up at this like longhouse planning for their defense? 
Yeah, maybe I don't know. I uh, I'm I'm not gonna like try and like me personally. I'm I'm not interested in trying to break down the story and say, hey, here's where things like specifically with this plot deal could have been better or anything. Uh, like, because like I agree. I I think these stories were in in general pretty well executed. Um, all five of these main set stories were interesting and exciting. Um, they did a really good job at being very different stories, right? We have an entire story from Tybalt's perspective. That was wonderful. Um, we have, uh, we have stories that showcased Bredegard, uh, and then Notvold, then, um, uh, and, and, uh, Immersturm. Um, so, and, and like even two separate areas of Bredegard, right? We got to see Starnheim in the Nico stories the these other two side stories we got to see some Skemfar and some Istfell and a little bit of Carfell. And so like we got to see almost the entire you know, you know, we got to see almost every realm in one of these ten stories. Uh like Sortland is like really the one that we didn't get to see a whole lot of. Um in, I don't know, maybe if there's a return to call time, maybe we see more of the giants. It is it is a lot of content and I think this really d- just uh, ties back into, you know, the broader community thing of uh, I, I don't think these stories executed the volume of content poorly, but I still wish we had more time with this content uh, and a little more breathing room, which I, I guess goes to, to pacing. Um, I, I did think this last story was a little fast for, for the main set story, the the battle for call time. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was it was well paced personally. So so there's a balance here, right? If if we broaden, if we broaden uh, this story, we might maybe not get the Tybalt story. But, like, I wouldn't want to sacrifice the Tybalt story. It's this absolutely wonderful dive uh, into some of the backstory of this world uh, through the lens of Tybalt's egomaniacal psyche, right? Story is wonderful. So I don't, I don't have answers for what I would have done differently. I have the sense that I, I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting problem too, right? From a creative design standpoint, if you know you're going to have five main set stories and four to five side stories, you want to build sets that can tell that are able to tell stories in that time frame. You know, so the, this this is War of the Sparks whole thing. Uh, when when that novel first novel was announced, I said, yeah, it makes sense wanting to do a novel here. Because I don't know how they would ever tell War of the Spark in web fiction. That is independent of the novels having their own issues. But I understand that one specific angle of, hey, this story is gigantic and we want more space to tell it. And then it still felt rushed. Anyway, we did a whole episode on War of the Spark Ravnica. I'm not going to reiterate all the things I said there. But uh, yeah, I I, I like I liked the set stories. The last thing I'm going to say about this, I think we get a really good sense of... Uh, Kaya and Tyvar and Tybalt and Nico, even even though we don't get you know we we don't have a story that's told from Tyvar's perspective. He's the only character without a POV story. Uh, but I think enough of his like he's a he's a very well designed character and he's very strong personality traits, character traits that I think all come through really well in the four stories or three stories he's in. One of the goals of these stories is to like hey here are planeswalkers are big branded characters. Uh, here you will get to know them. And, you know, one other thing I really liked about ZNR is how much that story felt like these three superheroes, and I guess two superheroes and one supervillain. But which one's the villain? Having personality I? clashes. <laughs> uh, the villain is Nahiri. Nahiri is a villain. <laughs> this discussion. 
unequivocally a villain. I think I think these stories really succeeded in um uh really well in uh you know telling telling readers what each of these four planeswalkers is about as a person. And I think had some fun little Frexian bits. I love Frexia and uh I'm I'm not going to say too much about Frexia cuz we didn't get a whole lot. We really just the first and last story here, but uh I I as a plot thread we have not heard from in like 10 years now, I like that we get just a little tease. It's kind of mean, but as a writer, I like being kind of mean sometimes. And that's all I'm going to say about the set. I talk a lot sometimes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so my take on the pacing is that we don't have adequate space for it to feel like a full story, and that is both in real world time and in the number of stories that we have. So in real world time, the story finale came, I think, the week after the actual set's release. <laughs> um, starting the story along with preview season, while it gives like the kind of head start on the fact that the cards are previewed and people know some of the story spotlights and you can kind of control the flow of the story spotlights, it also like doesn't fully recoup the costs for having the story be done so quickly with just such a limited number of stories because when you're starting at even the week of or the week before preview season in this case there is one then the two preview season weeks then the actual pre-release week then the actual release week and then our story finale was the week following it's it's very very difficult to keep fans engaged with call time beyond that very very narrow window of like here is where all the Kaldheim stuff is dropping and their attention is going to be pulled between preview shows like Jimmy Wong's um the preview season that actually happens and pre-release and the actual set release it's just a whole lot of whole lot of distraction like that is that is kind of my feeling about it and having that only be five stories long just like leaves a void of like until we hear the first news about Strixhaven that isn't obviously this article, like we are not getting any story episodes and we might get a story episode the very first week we hear something or that they have the Strixhaven preview show, but that's like a huge gap to leave open. And I don't necessarily know if shifting that to more align with the release will do anything, but also the fact that Kaldheim's story doesn't necessarily have the room to breathe, and neither did... Well, Zendikar Rising story didn't have that much going on. <laughs> but I think something that was important that was brought up to me in a Discord server was there were a lot of, like, downtime magic stories during the Gatewatch era, and those were kind of, like, the greatest moments for character development. And I don't think the character development in Kaldheim was especially lacking, but it's, like, stories like Homesick, stories like release stories like quiet moments where it's like not that much is happening plot beats wise you're not getting any major story spotlights out of those three stories but you have like a huge character study of respectively like chandra ajani um and gideon and you just like get these like a fuller depth to the character than you get when it's just like Kaya moves to this realm, and then Kaya moves to this realm and fights this thing, and then 
Tybalt's story, and then Kai is moving to this realm and meets Tyvar and is doing this thing, and then they're moving to the final battle. It doesn't feel as like plot beat to plot beat to plot beat to plot beat as like that's just part of storytelling is like there should be some reprieve when you can actually like consider what these characters are going through and i don't think that five stories is necessarily the perfect formula for that i think sort of just synthesizing that with my thought earlier about the the quote unquote missing story of the human clans coming together on bredegard had these stories been posted one week at a time all 10 of them and had we added in a story somewhere uh, after the story on Immersturm, uh, where the humans gather together, you know, after the result of the Doom Scar, um, and we'd had eleven stories over eleven weeks, it would have felt very much like, I think, the old magic story, web fiction way of doing things. Um, I think that maybe part of the the pacing is the fact that. We're getting all 10 stories in five weeks rather than getting them one week at a time. And you are hitting on like the premier Vorthos problem, which is like we can suggest as much stuff as we want, but like we have <laughs> we have no context to work <laughs> off of. Magic story has been done in such a few and limited number of ways, but also like we know the ways that do not work. So doing something like Wednesday and Friday stories, like we can't guarantee that spreading those stories out across 10 weeks will like retain the same amount of engagement that the stories being on Wednesday and Friday do. But like at the same time, story's not story is something that we're enjoying. It is not a necessarily product that wizards is trying to sell people on. They're just trying to like, if they're interested in building a fandom around the story and a larger fandom around the story, than the currently diminished um, Vorthos group is it's going to take a lot more experimenting and trial and failure. And like, I think that's just the stage we're at and the um, kind of story release structure is we kind of just need to figure out what will feel the most comfortable and also tell the fullest story available to us. Cause I don't think they want to spend like 20 weeks telling, <laughs> telling a single set story. If they did, they would have to cover like eight different sets because we were getting like three sets a month at this point. Yes. And that's also adding into the scope of things that we have no control over and don't necessarily know. Like the product pipeline is shifting so rapidly that it's very difficult for to to remind story fans like, hey, the Kaldheim story is still ongoing. We know we released like five secret layers this week, but maybe you could spare this a read and try to keep up with this. It's many many distractions and i don't know necessarily how to handle that and that's just part of the problem i think we've gotten to uh all we want to talk about uh but i i did want to say um kind of just as a final thing as we're leaving another set story this format's an experiment right this is only the second set that we've had web fiction back this is uh, an experiment and with the caveat that i don't work with magic story uh that is not an aspect of the game that uh I uh, am involved with or or know um, as much about. Like, I don't know plans and, and stuff. But um, this, is an, uh, this is an experiment. And uh, one of the things that helps the people who do work on this stuff and plan it out and whatnot uh, is, is y'all's not 
just on the podcast, y'all's listeners, uh, y'all's feedback. Respond on surveys. Um, reply to uh, the uh, official Wizards uh, social media accounts. Always with feedback, be polite. It greatly increases your chances of <laughs> being read and understood and accepted and heard. Things you don't like are good. Things you do like are very, very good. That is like the number one thing I see in uh, feedback for these kinds of things is people talk about what they hate and not what they love. You need to talk about the things that you love too because uh, otherwise you don't get more of the things you love. You just get less of the things you hate. Both of those kinds of feedback are very useful. Again, you know, this is a transitional thing. I don't know what things are going to look like for Strixhaven. We'll get there when we get there. See, I'm in a weird position as as a contractor where, like, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be interested to see where it goes from this. <laughs> not, not to compare myself to Ugin, but I have, like, this kind of detachment. But, uh, yeah, but uh, f- feedback is important. And um, to to folks at Watsi who might listen to this podcast, uh, you know, we've had a lot of episodes over almost three years now uh, where we've had a lot of feedback and, you know, some things have been implemented and we appreciate that. And, uh, and, and to viewers, you know, folks are listening. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of the reason I, I believe that we have web fiction is because of the communities. Your, y'all's responses being like, Hey, web fiction is really what made me attracted to magic story. And, you know, whether things are working or not, that's up to y'all to decide and, and give feedback on. So uh, with that, uh, we're going to head into final thoughts. And um, my final thought for this week, it's just, it just, my brain is taken over by Strixhaven. I'm sorry. I just, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, and, and I can't say anything. Like, this is, I, I don't, I don't know how much y'all remember from last year around this time, how excited I was for Ikoria. Ikoria was the most exciting thing I had ever worked on for Magic. Uh, and it was finally coming out. Um, and I was finally able to talk about it. I love Strixhaven. I don't know how many magnitudes more than uh than than Ikoria. It's just it's just this is the best project I've ever worked on for Wizards. And I'm so excited and uh I don't know when like official preview season starts, but just ah, Strixhaven. Uh yeah. Final thought. Done. Ha. Huh. My final thought is plugging my my speculation slash theory for Kalpan, which is that A all the Praetors don't give a fuck. Like, this was... Do not do not expect all five Praetors to be spread across three, five sets, or even three Praetors to be spread across three sets, because I hate cycles, and that would annoy me greatly. <laughs> and also, like, my understanding, or my, my opinion on it, is that the Cosmos Elixir slash the Sap from the Tree will be used to make sure that nobody has to go through the same thing Vorinclex went through, which was having his body stripped of all flesh, all organic material, quote-unquote, um, during his travel. And that when he gets it back to Phyrexia, they can mass-produce it, and then they have an actual invasion army that does not have godhood, as the Tyrant Sanctum card would explain, but is able to survive a brief sojourn through the Blind Eternities to invade... Um, Lorwyn, because I don't know. Nobody nobody wants to go back to Lorwyn. I've never heard that opinion from anybody, so <laughs> <laughs> that is my final thought. Uh, yeah, you know, as as a silver quill, I have to say I appreciate your use of the word sojourn. I think that word is fantastic. Chris, final thought. 
my final thought is also some speculation and i'm just i'm really convinced that oh wow yeah we have been recording for like two hours now i'm so sorry laura like um i'm really upset that you're gonna have to cut all of that speculation out i didn't realize how close i was to being correct um Sorry, live listeners, you're going to have to forget everything I just said. I'm going to I'm gonna go take a nap. That was way too much for me. Look, I'm just shocked that I got it so right. Thank you for confirming that. Uh, I, I can't believe yeah. you actually correctly predicted every single major story beat of the next 30 years of Magic. That was really impressive. Yeah, our, I'm so sorry, live listeners. Y'all are going to really have to uh, just keep it between us. Yeah. I'm excited for Venser too, though. Oh, yeah, like, oh, shoot, um, just edit that part out, edit that out. <laughs> Y'all are dorks, and as a professional comedian, uh, well, that as someone who does a lot of comedy professionally, Chris, I appreciate your, your bit here. <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> what uh, bit? What bit? <laughs> <laughs> it's like 10 o'clock, I need to go to bed. <laughs> If y'all listeners out there uh, also appreciate the bits that you get on this show, of which there are many because we're a, a bunch of dorks, uh, you can head over and over to patreon.com slash theforthoscast and help support our show today. Um, all your contributions keep the show running so we can keep talking about Magic Story and making very bad jokes and some very good jokes. We like to mix it up, um, you know, in terms of uh, uh, quality here. Uh, sometimes you, you know, like, like bad cards need to exist. Bad jokes need to exist. That's just our philosophy here on the more of those guys. I can't even say that with a straight face. Anyway, uh, everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our discord community where there's been so many new messages about Strixhaven. I'm very excited. And we have, you know, we're about to head into another preview season. Uh, Magic Legends is going to be hitting open beta. So like, there's just so much happening in Magic. Uh, and we have a really wonderful community filled with really wonderful people. Uh, and we would like all you Vorthosas out there to be part of that. So uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast.